Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are wrapping up our top 10 prospects podcast series today with the San Francisco Giants. And to do that, we are joined by Josh Norris. Josh wrote the Giants prospect handbook chapter again this year. He's done it for a couple years now. Josh, the Giants are a team that we expected to go into a full-blown rebuild shortly after Farhan Zaidi took over. And while they certainly have not been a playoff team the last couple of years, one of the more interesting developments of 2020 was they were much more competitive than I think a lot of people expected. And a big part of that is they have found some really good under-the-radar players. Zaidi was part of the Dodgers front office when they found Chris Taylor, when they found Max Muncie. He was part of that group that was really, really good at finding these unheralded guys and trades, waiver claims, minor league free agent signings, and turning them into studs. And we started to see that a little bit with the Giants. Donovan Solano was a big acquisition for them that not a lot of people thought much of at the time. And of course, the biggest one was Mike Yastrzemski acquiring him as a minor leaguer for Tyler Herb. And he's become, frankly, one of the best players in the National League. We saw them make some low-level acquisitions for guys like Alex Dickerson, Darren Ruff, who have been productive. So we're starting to see the Giants do some of the things the Dodgers did under Zaidi, get some veteran types who there wasn't many people who thought very highly of them, and they've become really good players. Now it's about getting some of these young guys up and helping them be this next wave of Giants standouts. When you look at the Giants right now, just their ability to find some of these veteran types, what they've got in the farm system. We saw Joey Bart make his debut this year. Logan Webb moved into the starting rotation. We're seeing some of the young guys come up, but it's still a couple years away. What's the timeline here for the Giants to get back to a winning record? Let's just start with that after four straight losing seasons. Well, I think they've been pretty close. They've been on the fringes of contention a couple times in recent memory. 2019, uh, they were in it at the All-Star break. Yeah. They finished 77-85, and last year they were 29-31, and 31, and if not for a tiebreaker with the Brewers, they would have been in the eighth seed in the National League playoff field. Yeah, I, I, this year they needed to win like one of their last three games, and they didn't do it, and it, it, didn't, it didn't work out for them. So it's, it's getting close, but, you know, some of their guys are – their best guys aren't – as close as you'd think like Joey Bart obviously was up this year that was more a function of needing a better defensive catcher than what they had once Posey opted out they were kind of in a hole uh Chadwick Trump was a nice story but he wasn't uh quite the defender that Joey Bart is um so that's why they brought him up and they've been pretty front uh in public about saying you know he's probably going back to AAA this year um whenever that may start um and it was, it was clear that he wasn't quite ready as a hitter. And we've talked about it for a couple years now where there's a hole on the inside part of the plate and pitchers will exploit it. Hard in, soft away. That's, that's the book on him right now. And you heard little stories about him doing pretty well at the alt site. And they made the point to be like, well, they weren't pitching really in at the alt site because you don't want to be the, the Giants pitcher who hit the future Giants catcher with a fastball in at the alternate training site. So he didn't really get tested quite the way um, you might in regular minor league seasons. Uh, but the, you know, the, the gem of that system is Luciano at number one. I'm sure we'll talk about him in a minute, but he's clearly farther away than your Bart's or your Ramos's, uh, those guys at the upper levels. Um, he's going to take a little while, but he's the clear number one in that system. So 
I mean, obviously the, the Dodgers are the class of that division and uh, are going to be for some time. And the Padres have made some moves, I guess, in recent years that have made them <laughs> want to jump into the fray. So say the it's least. Be a tough little division <laughs> for the next couple of years. Yeah, there's no question the Giants are facing an uphill battle here, and some of it's going to depend on whether or not the playoffs expand permanently, particularly in the next CBA, what their outlook looks like for a return to the postseason. But as we've talked about, there are some players here in this farm system, and I'll say this, it's definitely a system that we're seeing start to improve that began under the old regime in 2018. They are the group that drafted Joey Bart. They were the group that led the international signing class that was topped by Marco Luciano and brought in some really talented players below him as well. We've moved into the Farhan Zaidi era. They've drafted Hunter Bishop and Patrick Bailey, two well-regarded collegians in their first two drafts. So this is a farm system that for a while, just simply because they graduated a tremendous homegrown talent group to the majors and won three World Series because of it, which is the point of all this. The farm system was a little lean in the years after that because you go from picking at the top of the first round to the bottom of the first round. But this is a group that we're starting to see the system backfill a little bit, but it is still a couple years away. Josh, diving into that system, you mentioned Marco Luciano was the clear number one. Now, you ranked him number one a year ago, and at the time, it certainly raised some eyebrows just because Joey Bart had had such an impressive year at high class A San Jose and double A Richmond. He was limited by a hand injury. He had a broken bone in his hand and that limited his overall offensive numbers. But if you look from the point when he started feeling like himself again through the end of the year, he was fabulous. This is still a player who had only played 22 games above the class A levels and as you noted, was just not ready for the major leagues. But even when he looked excellent, and he still is a very, very good prospect, let's be clear about that. You had put Marco Luciano ahead of him at number one. That's still the case this year. What is it about Marco Luciano that has people so high on him? The tools, the the makeup, the talent. I mean, they're two echelons. They're, they're, They're not in the same class of prospect, Luciano and Bart, I don't think. Luciano has a chance to be a superstar. Joey Bart has a chance to be a really good player. Marco Luciano has a chance to be the face of that team uh, once he's all said and done. I know I tip my, my loves tend to typically skew younger when it comes to prospects, but you know, I haven't heard too much of a cross word about Marco Luciano uh, in, in anything. You know, it's, people rave about this guy. I'm, I'll put it this way. There's one swing I look at every so often, just if I'm feeling down, just to remind myself of what's around the corner. Like that's how pretty this guy's swing is. He's, I don't know if he's going to play shortstop, but he's going to, and if he doesn't, it's going to be because his bat moved him too quickly. His bat, you know, you know, pushed him up before his glove could finish developing. Either way, he's going to be an offensive force in the big leagues. And Joey Bart's going to be a fine player and a really good prospect but never for a second do I think about putting him number one. And to be clear, that's a testament to Luciano, not a number right. one. Right. Like I said, superstar, very good player. With Luciano, just in speaking with evaluators this year, he was at the alternate training site as one of the youngest players there. He went to instructional league. What were some of the things he improved upon? What were some of the things he still needs to work on? And just kind of where is he in his development? Well, at the alternate site, um, he didn't perform quite as well as, you know, I, as my little spiel there would have suggested, but that's because he uh, was facing AAA and, and quad A arms as a, you know, a teenager. They're a little better than him right now. When he got back to the alternate site, 
he raked on the alternate side instructs he raked because he's facing you know people his class um right now it's just reps just like anybody else it's reps um it also can tell how highly they think of him because they did bring him to uh, the alt site even though he was not there was no chance he was going to be on the big league team at any point this year barring some sort of absolute monstrosity of an outbreak um yeah, he was, but th that they chose to get him at bats um, was a conscious decision because they didn't want to sacrifice his development. I mean, they told me a story at some point in the summer, um, I think it was summer camp, first pitch he saw in summer camp, he homered on, 95 from oh, Rico Garcia, you know, a guy who's a triple-A guy. I think he's had some little big league time. He's been in and the majors, yep. Yep. First, first pitch he saw, takes it out in uh, their ballpark in San Francisco. That was the way you announce your, uh, your presence with authority, uh, as, as the saying goes. Um, I, I really just can't really overestimate or overstate how high they are on him. Yeah, one of the things that really stood out just making calls in instructional league is the bat. And, and that's one of the things that we can talk about positional profile as much as we want, shortstop versus third base. But what struck me just in some of the calls I made was there's an incredible amount of confidence that this guy's going to be an impact hitter for someone who has yet to play full season ball. Normally there's all the tools, you see all the ingredients, but you have to caution that they haven't seen the best pitching yet. They haven't seen pitchers who can locate their fastball whenever they want or land a breaking ball in any count. They just haven't seen that pitching yet. So you always want to hedge a little bit. It's been interesting to me just to listen to the confidence evaluators have that this guy will hit as he continues to get older yeah it just you know I, I talk about that swing that i look at you know i remember it was two years ago in either instructs or minor league spring training it's the same dang setting but whatever i i look at it and i go that's that cannot be a 17 year old that cannot be a 17 year old and it is that's a 17 year old taking a man's swing and hitting a ball you know 100 110 plus miles an hour on the button off the top of the left field wall at the A's minor league spring training complex. It's, it's an insane talent. And we're in the middle right now, as everybody knows of a string of insanely talented, predominantly Latin teenagers coming to the big leagues and, or 20 somethings, young 20 somethings and doing damage. And I think he could be the next or one of the next in line right there. That's why we have him so high right now. He's, he's going to be a stud. <laughs> So with that, Joey Bart, as you mentioned, had a difficult big league debut. Again, this is a catcher who had played 22 games above A ball. And like a lot of young players this year, was not ready, especially with the circumstances of the season. I think the question a lot of people have is, what kind of hitter is he going to be in terms of his contact? We know he has a tremendous amount of raw power. He can definitely stick behind the plate. He had some difficulties defensively, but again, he was catching major league arms for the first time on the fly. You know, guys he had very, very little experience with. Over time, there's a lot of confidence this can be a, a very solid defensive catcher with a plus arm, uh, but ultimately you still have to hit. And there were some concerns about how much hit ability he would have even out of the draft, there were some people who said, you know, there's a chance this is Mike Zanino. I think he's better than that, but there's a chance it becomes that in terms of just struggles making contact. We saw him have some ups and downs his first full season, but once he was fully healthy, uh, recovered from that broken left hand, we saw him hit for average. So we know it's in there. Uh, but then again, this year, as you talked about, major league pitchers, you know, he struck out 37% of the time. The context of everything, though, you have to keep that in mind. 
there's a lot of uncertainty about, okay, what kind of hitter is this guy going to be? Your discussions with evaluators, ultimately you put a 45 on his hit. That's a fringe average hitter that sort of comes out to a 240 average type. Ultimately, what were the things you were hearing that led you to put that as the expectation, how much he's going to hit? As, as I mentioned earlier, it's about closing that hole on the inside. If he doesn't do that, he's going to have a spot where people or pitchers, big league pitchers who are pretty darn good at what they do, to exploit consistently and aggressively. Um, if, if he doesn't do that, he's going to be a guy who can hit, hit mistakes and hit them uh, hard. I will note that you know he's got a ton of raw power, and he had a decent amount of big league time this year. Didn't hit a home run, um, which is a little surprising. Uh, considering, you know, at some point, somebody probably made a mistake to him. So there, there are concerns about what kind of hitter he's going to be long-term. But again, he shouldn't have been in this position this year. This year, it's, it's a very weird, weird year where some players had their growth and development stopped because, you know, they didn't go to the alternate site, they didn't go to instructs, yada, yada, yada. Where others maybe got, uh, you know, a... a move too quickly or moved more quickly than, than would be recommended under normal circumstances. And they wouldn't have gotten a chance to follow the proper developmental track. That might be the case with Bart. So if he goes back to AAA this year and the pressure's off him to not produce in the big leagues for a team, like we said, it was, you know, sitting on the, the fringes of the expanded playoffs, then maybe he can, um, you know, develop his hit to a little further in a less crazy environment under crazy circumstances. I want to be clear. This is still a top 50 prospect in baseball. Mm -hmm. We have it up at the BA top 100. And even if it is, you know, a 40, 45 type of hit with his power, with his defense, that's a really, really, really good everyday catcher. So there's still a lot of optimism here. And I think, you know, you talk about Joe Adele, you talk about Joey Bart, you talk about Luis Patino, you talk about Casey Mize, a lot of guys who have a lot of talent that were thrown into the major leagues before they were ready and that's a difficult transition, even in a normal season. And then add in all the stresses of COVID, not having season double A, triple A, where they're rolling and feeling hot and they can at least go in with a little bit of momentum and confidence. I mean, I think it's one of those situations to me, Joey Bard and Joe Adele are the two case studies of don't bang him too much based on what happened this season. Again, these are still really good prospects. Bart's still a top 50 prospect. So I will say that it does seem fair that there is increased concern about whether he can get to an average hitter, but there's also still a solid degree of confidence. This is still a potentially really good player. Yeah. Like I said, he has a chance to be a really good player. He's, you know, like you said, it's like 20 something games, not counting the big leagues above uh, high A before last year. Not also, I mean, and this was a guy last year too, two, two years ago where he broke his hand and then went to the fall league to get more at bats and then broke his hand again. So he didn't even get a chance to make up the at-bats there. It's been a rough go for him as far as injuries are going too. So, you know, he's got some development to, to work. It's, it's, it's a crutch, but this game is hard. It's really hard. Josh, we've got two top 50 overall prospects here at the top of the system, Luciano and Bart, and they're driving the Giants farm system improvement. Elliot Ramos is someone who's been a top 100 prospect for a couple of years now. What is his status just in terms of what he showed at the alternate training site and in instructional league? He did have an oblique strain that ended his season at instructs, but 
this is someone else that a lot of people have felt has a chance to be a really, really good player for the Giants and potentially a starting corner outfielder who hits in the middle of their lineup if everything clicks the way some scouts think it will. What's his status and where is he at right now? Yeah, he's, he's a guy who showed pretty well at the alternate site. They wanted to hone in his plate discipline and uh, pitch selection a little bit better, and they believe they made strides in that regard. This is not going to be a guy who you know, you might see on the cover of MLB The Show or anything, but uh, he's got a lot of average to above average tools across the board, and if he continues to refine the skills he does have, then he will be a guy who can you know, man a corner in San Francisco. Like you said, he did have an oblique, which ended his season, which stinks because in this year, this weird, stupid year, or last weird, stupid year, you needed as many at-bats and as reps as possible. And frankly, instructionally, might have been a better approximation of baseball than the alt site where, you know, you were got, got guys pitching behind L screens, you've got coaches playing defense, and you're seeing the same however many pitchers over and over again. At instructs, you could at least see opposing pitchers who are trying to make a name for themselves and or get the rust off from however many months layoff. So it's not like, you know, you'd be facing, you know, name your five or six you know, giants, three, a four, a guys over and over and over again. And you probably get used to them. You get a book on them, they get a book on you and it's giant stalemate and then you ground out to the third base coach who's playing shortstop. So it's, it's a, it's not a, it wasn't a great scenario, but it wasn't a great year. So Ramos is, he, he made, some improvements and he's going to probably need a little bit more. I think they said he's likely to start at double A this year with a chance at triple A, uh, which ruins my, my potential super team in Sacramento, but say la vie. Um, so he's, he's a, a firm number three prospect in the system. Yeah. These are pretty clearly the top three. Again, all three of these guys are top 100 prospects, three players that evaluators across the game see as potential above average everyday regulars, thus top 100 prospects. I think where the system opened my eyes a little bit, just in terms of your rankings based off your reporting, speaking with evaluators, both inside and outside the Giants organization was at four and five. And I think just kind of going in, you assume you look at guys like Hunter Bishop and Patrick Bailey, collegiate first round picks who have track records of success. I think those would be the guys that you kind of naturally assume take the four or five spots. Seth Corey, left-hander who throws hard, tied for fourth in the minor leagues and strikeouts in 2019. That's someone else that you might assume would be up there. But instead, you have two very, very young players, Luis Matos, who is another teenager that signed in the same international class as Marco Luciano, and Kyle Harrison, who was their third round pick in the draft this year, who you actually jumped ahead of their first round pick, Patrick Bailey. What did these two show to propel them up this high in a system that does have some depth and, as we mentioned, some good players below them who have, who have shown more at higher levels? Well, Matos is a guy who you know, they talked about pretty highly of last year or going into the last handbook, um, and he was in the top 10. I forget where, but this year, also let's go back, last year in the DSL, he hit 362, 430, 570 as a 17-year-old with seven bombs, two triples, 20 stolen bases, uh, and only 30 strikeouts in 235 at-bats. That's a pretty darn good player. Then this year, unfortunately, because he's from Venezuela, he got stranded in the U.S. because Venezuela was pretty strict about who they were letting in, uh, returning from COVID. And so he and his fellow Venezuelans were stuck at the team hotel in Scottsdale for however long without access to really any 
organized coaching or training. I think they, they went to a local batting cage and, you know, took their cuts there off the pitching machine. So that's not super great. But when he got back to instructs, he wasn't out of shape. He wasn't worse for wear. He looked like a guy who could, you know, really, really make a mark next year or whenever the heck this season gets kicked off in 2021. There's, it's not one jump off the card tool, but it's a guy who can probably stick in center field with above average to average to above average tools across the board. And as he grows, it might be potential for some of those, those tools to jump up a, a half grade or so. Um, so this is a, a young guy who has ceiling and projectability and a whole lot of potential. And, you know, just listening to the way some of the, the Giants officials talked about him, it was, you know, really, really interesting to hear the way they talked about him um, in terms of praising him. It's also, I also know it was kind of difficult with this system just because instructs you did allow outside scouts, but the Giants were one team that didn't allow outside scouts in. And that is in part because of the way the Giants complex is organized. It's a COVID nightmare. Um, the, the little viewing areas behind the backfields are kind of like sardine cans. So you couldn't really social distance, couldn't do anything that would have let anybody abide by the rules. You have the charting pitchers back there and whatever coaches you want to be back there and then outside scouts. So it just wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense. So the system is a lot of inside uh, info. So just that's a, a grain of salt too. I had that with the Yankee system too, because they didn't have domestic instructs or anybody at the alt site or anything like that. One thing I will note is while scouts were not able to see the Giants prospects when they were playing at home at Scottsdale Stadium, they got them on the road. And just in the course of my reporting on Instructional League, I will say something that jumped out. I, I spoke to a highly ranked scouting official for another organization, uh, just about some of the players who really jumped out to him. And Luis Matos was one of the first names he mentioned. I uh, really thought this was someone that could be special. So I thought that was interesting that, again, some of these other guys have a little more pedigree. They're bigger names. But in terms of the guys actually watching them on the field, Matos kind of got the edge. And then Kyle Harrison, you ranked as the top pitching prospect in the system. And that interested me because when I was at the Area Code Games in 2019, I was mostly focused on the California guys, Southern California, Northern California. And on that Northern California team, there were two players who really jumped out to me, just looked to be above and beyond anyone else. The first was Tyler Soderstrom, who was the catcher. And the other was Kyle Harrison. He was the starting pitcher, first day of the Area Code Games. And as I just kind of joked to a couple scouts that day, I was like, I dig this low slot lefty, low 90s fastball, but had some zip. We talk about spin rates. We talk about all the different pitch characteristics. And sometimes just naked eye, you go out and there's, you know, 90-92. And it looks like it's just kind of meandering its way to the plate. And there's other guys that's 90-92 with some zip, with some finish, with some life. He had that zip. He had that finish. He had that life. It was getting on hitters a lot faster than they expected. Locating to both sides of the plate. I saw breaking stuff. I saw an athletic delivery. He was repeating. I saw control. And to be honest, I was kind of surprised he fell to the third round. Although... We have to note he was paid as a much higher draft pick, his signing bonus. And again, it's just a showcase look. You don't want to go too crazy off it, but the little bit he pitched in the spring, there were good reviews as well. I did kind of feel like the Giants potentially got a steal in the third round when they took him. And then based off your reporting, jumping him above guys like Patrick Bailey and Hunter Bishop, I thought that was eye-opening. What did he continue to show through the 2020 season once he got into pro ball that led you to do that? 
Well, he talked about, you know, 9092 with zip. Well, at Instructs, he was touching 96 with that zip. So that's a, that's a big jump. Um, he, was, he was stronger. He came out of the, the COVID um, shutdown stronger, uh, which probably led to that velocity a little bit. Um, and more importantly, you know, it's, it's a left side and it's command. He, they showed a lot of command for someone who's a high schooler and who hadn't pitched much since, you know, the COVID shutdown. So you put those two together and that's a great start. And then their pitching guys did some stuff with his breaking pitches uh, to make them a little better. So what you got is a really good potential mix of right now, three pitches that are at least average or better. We've got them as a plus fastball, potentially average curveball, potentially average changeup with above average control. That's a pretty good start for a guy who's, you know, only real pro in, um, experience is in, in the instructional league. And you take that pedigree, and I think that jumps above a lot of guys who are on this list who have a little more warts to their game than this guy does at this juncture. They, I mean, again, they talked about him, just listening to the way they talk about him, it was very clear that this was their number one pitching prospect. Moving into the back half of the system, and again, it's talented players, Hunter Bishop, Patrick Bailey, we mentioned two first-round picks, Alexander Canario, who hit very, very well at short season, Salem Kaiser, another international signee, Seth Corey we talked about, Will Wilson, another first-rounder, they acquired him from the Angels in the trade where they took on Zach Cozart's contract. So it does jump out to me that you get down to number 10 in this system, and you're still talking about good players with some pedigree and performance. And I think there was definitely a stretch a few years ago where you couldn't really say that about the Giants system. And even look at some of the guys not on the list, like a Sean Jelly, who got up to double A in his first full year and got good reviews all the way around. Uh, this does seem like a system that is, is quietly improving. And I know when I was kind of looking at it for our prospect handbook editing process, there was more here than I, I could remember there being in a Giants system in a couple of years. You went down into the teens and it's like, yeah, these are still good prospects. Yeah, I, I had the good fortune of taking over this list as it was getting good um, when we had a guy leave um, for another job, and I just kind of said, I'll do this, whatever. Um, but, yeah, it's a really good system. You mentioned Canario, who probably would be a little higher if he hadn't had the shoulder surgery. Um, you're right. He did perform really well at short season Salem Kaiser uh, as a 19-year-old. Um, the approach questions were there, and he's you know, not going to be a center fielder for, for certain, but he hit for power. Um, and he hit for average, and he had uh, you know, the ability. He showed a lot of stuff that you would not expect necessarily in a college-heavy league, but he, and he did all that with a bum shoulder that kind of re, uh, reared his ugly head again this year and finally needed to be cut on. So he'll be out for a little while uh, while that's recovering, which, again, he'll probably have some time given the way this minor league season is going to shape up. Um, he was a guy that probably would have been a couple ticks higher if that hadn't happened. Uh, we talked about Bailey. Um, this is a guy who drew really strong raves as a, as a defender, um, even from major leaguers. I note in the capsule that Jeff Samarja made a point of noting to some coach or manager on their staff that, hey, this guy is you know, a really, really good catcher. I was really impressed by what he did defensively. defensively. Catching-wise in my bullpen, just he's, he's a mature catcher. He's worked with for two years with the USA Collegiate Baseball National Team. Uh, he's caught, you know, some pretty good guys at NC State uh, and then moved in and is going to continue catching them with the Giants. He's got Nick Swinney there, uh, who he caught last year and last couple of years at NC State. For whatever reason, the Giants are NC State West. They've got 
Will Wilson, Nick Swinney, and Patrick Bailey, all from that team. Uh, we talked about Hunter Bishop. You know, it's a tough year for him. Like, he, he had COVID. Um, and in the previous year, there were questions about his hit, serious questions about his hit ability. He needs to answer them. We have him projected as a 40 hitter. Um, cause there were, there were questions about the swing. There were questions about the approach and those have plagued him since college. Uh, he's probably not a center fielder based on his size, but he does have raw power. I mean, it's, you're, you're talking very simply about kind of a similar skill set to Joey Bart, just in the outfield, not so much of a, an, an average hitter, but we have some pop and, uh, really good frame to him as well. Um, so there are, there are some warts on some of these guys, but they're all, they all have high upside. Um, it's a really good top 10 and I really enjoy it. Really enjoyed doing it, especially since there's a pretty clear demarcation of top 10 to the rest of the system. It wasn't super difficult to suss out a top 10 and then say, Oh no, this guy is at 20. Could he be in the 10? No, probably not. Okay, so this was the clear top 10. That was my next question. Was yeah. there anyone else that there was even a brief thought at any point? I mean, Toribio could have been in there. Like, Jelly was tough. Like, he was in there last year, but you did, you did add Bailey, and you did add Harrison for sure, but he didn't do anything this year, unfortunately. He wasn't at the alt site, and he wasn't at Instructs. So kind of hard to get a read on him, up or down, and he went down only by you know, guys coming into the list, not necessarily anything he did wrong. So I, he could be a guy that, you know, reaches the big leagues this year, but, you know, he did his development kind of away from anybody's view outside of that wasn't on the Giants payroll. We mentioned the system is improving. They're bringing in more guys. They've drafted in the top half of the draft in recent years, which has allowed them to bring in some more talented players. We mentioned essentially buying prospects as they did with Will Wilson. They're definitely doing some things to enhance this farm system. What does this system still need? Cause just looking at kind of the big picture, you see some really talented position players in the majors. You see a really interesting position player group in the minors as well. It is a team that is very, very light on the young pitching side in the majors. And there's only two pitchers in this top 10, neither of whom have played above the class A level. It does seem like they need to start bringing some arms and mass to get back to that level of a World Series contender. You got it. I mean, there's only five projected starting pitchers in their top 30. And that's, I, I'm not going to say that's the lowest ever, but for the top 30, that's, that's got to be among the lowest ever. You got Tristan Beck, Sean Jelly, Kyle Harrison, Seth Corey, and Nick Swinney. And that's it. Other than that, you got two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven right-handed relief prospects um, and no real left-handed relief prospects to speak of. You do need pitching. You need, and frankly, you need it now. Like the the projected lineup for the big leagues uh, is not super uh, promising on the starting pitching end. In, in like projected three, starting three, rotation, you mean? For yeah, one? yeah, 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 yeah. But um, it's 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 okay. They need some. They need some more arms. <laughs> they need some more arms, bad. And that was pretty clear. Like I, I don't think I could have really stuffed anybody much higher. So that's what they need to address going forth. If they can pull the same magic that, you know, had them with Mikey Stremski and Donovan Solano and all those guys, if they can do that with pitching, well, they'll be set. Or if they can trade some of these guys to get some pitchers. Yeah, right now, Logan Webb is the only pitcher under the age of 30 that's projected to be in their 2021 starting rotation. And as you talked about, we do our projected future lineups at BA. And when you fill out the Giants projected future lineup, 
you see some promise and say, Hey, this could be a really good lineup. But when you, it came to filling out the starting rotation, it was a lot leaner. So I think that's definitely the next step in building this organization back up, getting it back to the heights of, again, not that you ever predict anyone to win three world series in five years. That was a truly remarkable run in so many ways, but just getting back to consistent postseason contention four straight losing seasons. They have been competitive the last two years, but ultimately they have finished below 500. It does seem like that's the next step here as Farhan Zadie and co continue to try and build this thing back up. Josh, I think the ultimate question is how long until this team is again a playoff contender? We talked about the Dodgers. We talked about the Padres, but just given what's in the majors, what's in the farm system, is it 2023? Is it 2024? Because again, they need pitching and pitching takes time. Are we even looking at 2025? I mean, what, what's the timeline we're I mean, looking at here? 2023, I mean, it could be it. There's so many things that can change. I mean, you and I both know the Dodgers and the Padres right now seem like the two teams to beat in that division. And unless you're going to send, unless you're going to expand the playoffs or get two wildcard teams from that division, it's going to be a rough sled for those guys, for, the, for this team. Things may change after the new CBA if they expand the playoffs. But it's, it's a team on the rise, but I don't know if there aren't two other teams in that division that kind of put a really heavy ceiling on their ceiling, as it were. You know, it's, it's a tough call. Like I, we talked about our 2024 lineups. Those are always tricky because, okay, they're, they're not going to be what these are. They're just not. Free agency signings are going to happen. Uh, Tommy Listella might figure in there, uh, and he's uh, wasn't a member of the organization at the time of the book. So who knows if he's there in a couple of years or not? I, it's a long way of saying there's a lot of factors that uh, I, I wouldn't have predicted the Padres to be where they are three years ago or four years ago. I wouldn't have expected them to be these monsters, but here they are. There's a lot of things that can happen in baseball, so. We'll see. They're on the right track, I guess is a, is a good way to say it, but there's a lot of factors that are not under their control. Yeah, there's no question. Again, I think you look at picking up Solano, Yastrzemski, Dickerson, very, very low cost. Those are the type of moves that help make a team better quickly without really giving up anything significant. Tommy Listella signing, this is one of the best contact hitters in Major League Baseball. He's been impressive for a couple of years now whenever he's been healthy. Buster Posey is coming back for the 2021 season. Brandon Belt's still around. Brandon Crawford's still around. Obviously, they're older and their time is coming to an end most likely. But I do look at this lineup next year and say, yeah, there are some things here to like. It's just going to come down to that pitching staff and whether or not the Giants as an organization can continue to develop these young position players as they have. And now it's just about adding the pitching and mass. I think that's the key because you talk about the old rule of you need five to get one to the big leagues. The math doesn't line up there. They need a lot of arms to project to become a playoff team moving forward. And I'm going to be curious to see if in the draft internationally, they start loading up on pitching or again, this is a large market team with a lot of money to spend. If after some of these veteran contracts and they start pivoting and start spending some money on free agent pitchers, because I think it's fair to say they're going to have to get pitching that is not currently in the system from somewhere, whether that's free agency or the draft. And realistically, it's probably going to be a combination of both. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely true. And (laughs) The, 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 the saying is they might all be giants. Oh, they won't all be giants. You know, some of these guys <laughs> will get dealt. Some of these guys won't pan out, but they have to, they have to construct their, their team um, through, all, through all the resources. And I don't doubt that the guys up top 
we'll figure out how to do it. But, you know, it's going to be, I keep coming back to, it's really hard to look past the Dodgers and the Padres right now. They are beasts and they are set up for a long time to be beasts. And there's only so many ways to get to the playoffs if you've got two beasts in your division. We'll see if the Giants are able to make some things happen in the coming years. But in the meantime, there's no question this is a system that's improving. Again, it's a pretty good top 10. There's guys into 12, 13, 14 that you look at and say, yeah, these are good players. And it's been a while where that was the case for the Giants. Again, not through anything they did wrong. They won games because they graduated a tremendous group of homegrown players to the majors became three-time World Series champions in a five-year span. And now it's just about backfilling it. We'll see how it goes. But there's no question things certainly appear to be trending up from a talent perspective, both on the Major League roster and in the farm system. And realistically, that's all you can ask for right now to be pointing in the right direction. Josh, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight as always. Cool. Well, everyone, this wraps up our Top 10 Prospects podcast series. It's been a fun few months going through all 30 organizations. Thank you so much for listening. For Josh Norris, I'm Kyle Glazer. Stay safe.